Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16 again. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I have encouraged you, and I'll do it again, in your private reading to read the two books of Samuel. And when you finish them, if they've provoked your heart as they will, if you read it with pleasure and desire to know the Lord, go to 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles, and you can read a summary of the two Samuels in shorter form, same time period covered, same events, just summarized again. When you're done with that, you can go back and read 1 Kings to read about David's son Solomon and find two men that are, were, were unique among a few others in the earth of having hearts like the Lord's, men that God loved above others, men that God compared other men by them because they were his standard. And so we want to seek to be that standard and to have a heart after the Lord's heart. You'll, you know that in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel has been sent from his home of Ramah to Bethlehem to find the second king of Israel because the first king profaned himself, refused to obey the word of God, and God took the kingdom from him and said, I'm going to give it to your neighbor, a man better than you, a man after my own heart. And so we come to 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel is seeking to find among the eight sons of Jesse the Lord's anointed. And the seventh verse is what we want. We read it last Lord's Day. But I know that 168 hours have transpired since the last Lord's Day, and I wonder where your heart and your mind have been in all 168 of those hours. So many minutes for us to be distracted from what counts. Tenth, a thousand minutes or so. No, it's 10,000 minutes. My, my calculator is malfunctioning right now, but it's around 10,000 minutes for which we're accountable in a week's time that we, need, that we owe the Lord to keep fresh and there His precious word. But I read to you this seventh verse. The Lord said unto Samuel, as Samuel looked upon Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, and Samuel thought a great deal of him because he said in verse 6, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so this morning, you're going to hear more about the heart. Now, brethren, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you all week, and I have prayed for you this morning. If you do not take heed to listen to the words that I preach to you from the Word of God, Satan will quickly grab them and take them away. He will snatch them away, as the parable of the sower tells us in all three gospel accounts. You must gird up the loins of your mind for a few minutes. That's your part. And I have prayed for the Lord to put a hedge about this congregation in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by virtue of His shed blood that He will not be here to take away the Word of God. David was a man after God's own heart. We read that in 1 Samuel 13, 14, where 
Samuel spoke to Saul and said, Now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. I don't care where you turn. And I know my brother Jim, who's no longer with us, used to often remind me, he'd say, you know, all, all the series that you used to teach, whether it was Bible economics or child training or whatever it was, or whatever subject you take up, what's the first rule in all cases? Obey God. Right. Obey God. Don't disobey. Obey the Lord. Saul could have been a great king. The Lord would have blessed him and made him great. The Lord gave him a new heart. But he did not use that heart. And so the Lord took the kingdom away from him. Obey God. Obey the Lord is the first rule. And Saul flunked it and lost the kingdom. My goal for you is simple. It's for all of you. Every one of you that is the least bit willing. And I'm praying for those that aren't willing. To have a heart after God's own heart. To be like David. To be like Solomon. And to be like the other ones in the Word of God. Here's what Paul said. And I, I probably mentioned this last Lord's Day. But this is my goal for you. Whom we preach. Warning every man. And teaching every man in all wisdom. That we might present every man perfect. At the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. That's Colossians 1.28. That is my goal. And I know that perfection comes from the heart. Perfection in your life so that you please Jesus Christ at His coming is that you and I have hearts that love Him with our whole heart. We're single-minded and with our whole desire. And we love righteousness with our whole heart and our whole desire. And that's what I want for you. And we're not going to finish this morning. I have far too much to cover this morning. But next Lord's Day will be the finish, the Lord willing, of all that the Bible says to us about how we get that pure heart. But I want to tell you, getting the pure heart is pretty easy. It's getting to wanting the pure heart that's hard. Right. Because the devil doesn't want you to, to desire a pure heart. Circumstances in life are not going to line themselves up for you to seek a pure heart. Everything is going to distract you, trouble you, and discourage you. But brethren, this is a noble goal. I don't know of a better goal. For us to please the Lord Jesus Christ is to have a heart like Him and a heart like His father David, whom He set forth as an example for us to follow. And that's my goal for you. Now, brethren, I've got some encouragement for you. David always had a heart like that. His whole life. I'm not talking about the mud puddles. I'm talking about his whole life. His whole life, David had a heart after the Lord's heart. But let's say that you haven't had one that way, but you want one. And if you want one even in the least little bit, that is a blessing from a sovereign God that's put that desire in your heart. And you ought to be thankful in your heart right now that there is a little tiny bit of it that wants to have a heart like David's. Right. Because, brethren, we can go outside this door and there are 400 Baptist churches in this city, many of the members of which are carnal Christians, as we have been ourselves, but for the grace of God. And they do not care about having a heart like the Lord's heart. They're going through the motions of religion without the authority of it 
And that is from our very inner being. The Lord owes, owns all of it, and we owe all of it to Him. Right. Here's your encouragement. Second Kings chapter 23. Second Kings 23. There's another character in the Bible that I want you to know about because it might encourage you. If you haven't always had a heart that sought the Lord like the Lord's own heart, then here's another character. 2 Kings 23 and verse 25. And this verse of description from God is about Josiah, a son of David. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses neither after him arose there any like him. Now this sounds like Josiah is set above David but he's not. They're just different. David was always a man after God's own heart and Josiah wasn't always that way but when the word of God came to Josiah when he went to church one Sunday morning and heard a message about having a heart like David's heart, he turned to the Lord with his whole heart and his whole soul and all of his might. And there was no king before or after him that turned so much to the Lord. So don't tell me, I'm too far gone. I've lived too long and I haven't had that heart all the time. The Lord doesn't care about the past. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. We all like to remind people about the past, which we shouldn't, but the Lord doesn't. The Lord wants to know what you're going to do right now. And He forgets the past. And He forgives the past. He wants to know what you're going to do right now. I thought I'd give that to you for some hope. If you haven't been like David, you can be like Josiah. And that's turn to the Lord and give Him all of your heart and all of your soul with all of your might. May the Lord bless us to do that. The heart. I want each of us to have a heart that loves the Lord and loves righteousness with our whole heart. That's what we think about the most. That's what we love the most. That's what we do with the most energy. And it's the things of the Lord that we care about the most. This is my desire. The heart in the Bible is the seat of our affections. It's where our desires come from. And it's what moves us to make decisions. A pure heart is a heart that has undivided affection at the highest level of fervency for God, His righteousness, and His Word. That's what I'm talking about. A pure heart that is operating at the highest level. It's undivided. That's what pure means. If something's pure, it has no base metals in it. It has no, it's not an alloy of anything. It's pure. It's only one thing. And that is of great fervency in the love of God, righteousness, and His Word. Now, brethren, look at Jeremiah 17.10 with me. And let's see a warning, one of twenty, about how God searches and knows our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart. This is the word of the Lord to us. God is examining our hearts. He is searching our hearts and we want Him to find 
when He looks in our hearts, a heart that loves Him with all that we have. Let's now go to the book of James. James chapter 1. Very conservatively, I have read over 5% of the Bible carefully in preparation for this sermon. That's only 1,500 verses. It's more than that, but I'll say that to make sure I'm telling you the complete truth. I have looked at every, exam, every, every word and verse in the Bible that deals with the heart and that internal apparatus that we want to be after God's own heart. Now, if I turn you to 30 of them, I hope that's not going to tire you. Because I want you to see the Word of God. We've looked at 1 Samuel 16, 7, that said God doesn't look on the outward appearance, He looks in the heart. We've looked at 13, 14, that said that God chose a man after His own heart to be ruler over His people. We looked at 2 Kings 23, 25, which tell us about Josiah who turned to the Lord. We've seen Jeremiah 17, 10, that tells us God searches the hearts. Now we come to James 1, 26, and it tells us, If any man among you seem to be religious, thinks himself religious, acts like he's religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And haven't we lived this religion before? Don't many live this religion? This is the the religion of carnal Christianity that Paul warned against. Seeming, looking like you're religious, but not being able to practice righteousness. And one of the first steps of practicing righteousness is to control our tongue. A man with a pure heart you can spot easily. Just go talk to him. What does he talk about? How kind is he? How thankful is he? How gracious is he? Is he encouraging? Is he positive? Is he lifting up the Lord? Is he provoking you to righteousness? Is he gentle? Is he good? You've got yourself a man with a pure heart. It's not hard. A man with a bad heart cannot do the things I just described. And a man with a good heart doesn't go around with an uncontrolled tongue because his good heart tells him to keep his tongue under control. This man's religion is vain, verse 26. Verse 27, pure religion, which flows from a pure heart. Verse 26 is from a deceived heart. A pure heart leads to pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father. And what is that? Visiting the fatherless and widows in their affliction, caring about those who have no one to care for them, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. A pure heart hates even the spot of the world. It will avoid not just the mud puddle, but the little bit of splash from the other people that are trampling through the mud puddles of life. To continue my illustration from earlier this morning, which I wouldn't say is the world's greatest, but I hope that it communicated the point. It doesn't even want to be spotted by being around the world, near the world, or close to it to get a spot. Because pure has no spots. 24 carat doesn't even have 2% of another metal. Because it's pure. It doesn't even have 1%. That's James chapter 1 and verse 26. Come back in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. We are trying this morning to learn from the Lord and the Word He's given us how to have that incredible asset 
that incredible gift, that incredible thing of a pure heart that is like the Lord's. Proverbs 23 and verse 26, Solomon said, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Give me thine heart. And then he goes on to describe whores and how they increase the transgressors among men because women are a very attractive temptation for sin in this world. But notice the solution. The cure is to start at the heart. And every father must be asking for the hearts and the hearts of his children. Give me thine heart. That attitude that you have, child, is not right. Give me your heart. That bitterness that you're holding is not right. Give me your heart. That influence that you get from that place that you go, young man, is not good. Give me your heart. This is the importance of the heart. Proverbs 23 and 26. I talked to my brother Stephen this morning about being good fathers. It is so easy for us to keep chopping down the responsibility of being a father until we get it down to these simple naturalistic methods that don't do anything. We're not giving our children anything. So what if we feed them three squares, put nice clothes on their back, and send them to a good school, and we go and watch them at t-ball games? What have we done for our sons? Nothing. It's like we're raising animals. We were there for the gerbil. We gave them lots of wood chips and lots of food. Oh, brethren, there's a whole other level, and it's so far above that. And do you know what it is? Give me thine heart. Every father in here and every grandfather, every great-grandfather, has a responsibility to go after the hearts of children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and seek those hearts that, they'll be, that they will love the Lord. And see, we can't get away with just taking them to church. We've got to ask them and teach them about how, how their heart ought to think about others and to correct their heart when it's wrong. This is a whole other level of being a father. And it's a whole other level of being a husband to go after your wife to help her to have a heart like this also. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Second Chronicles chapter 16. I will be successful today, and the Lord knows my heart. And what the Lord's told me I should expect from saints who still are in bodies of flesh and who have 168 hours working against me. If you leave thinking, I want a heart like David's heart or like the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am going to work on it this week, I will have been successful. So don't try for a whole lot. Let these verses settle into your hearts and your souls. Think about them as I read them and give them the sense to you. But let them provoke your spirit, because if you have the Spirit of God in you, it is matching up with the word that I'm reading. And let it provoke you to go home and examine your heart, lay it bare before the Lord, and beg the Lord to fill it with His Spirit, that it will be pure like His. And then throughout the week, every time a thought pops up, examine that thought, And make sure that it's in agreement with the Word of God. That it's gentle. That it's good. That it's pure. That it's virtuous. That it's kind. That it's patient. That It's a whole different way of living. It's at a different level. It's examining all the motives that flow out of your heart. And this is what the Lord wants from us. And if we get that pure there, 
the rest of things, that the rest of life takes care of itself. Absolutely. Because the heart's pure. Second Chronicles sixteen nine. Does this verse comfort you? Amen. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. What a text. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And he wants to show himself barely there, mostly there. He wants to show himself strong. He wants to show himself strong. The Lord wants to show how strong he is upon a certain group of people. Those whose hearts are perfect before him. Perfect. Pure. That you are not holding back one thing this morning. You are not saying, well, I want to be righteous, but I don't want to be quite as righteous as the pastor preaches. No, you want to be more righteous than the pastor preaches. You want to be as righteous as God shows you from His Word. That man whose heart is perfect, the Lord wants to be strong for him. Now, if that doesn't provoke you to seek to have a perfect heart before the Lord, you need help. But I'll be praying for you, for the Lord to help you. Oh, to have the Lord wanting to show himself strong on my behalf? That's precious. Amen. I want you to turn to First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Now I know I've announced a men's meeting for this Wednesday. I know that I often address the fathers and the husbands. But I want to tell the women that they can have a heart like this also. And the Lord considers it a most beautiful, the most beautiful thing that you can have. I want to exhort all the men to spend some of your time helping your wife have this heart and helping her keep it. She is the weaker vessel, which means she is more vulnerable to temptation of lust than are men. That is the Word of God. That is Second Timothy chapter 3, the whole chapter which describes the perilous times of the last days, that those false teachers would go into houses and lead captive silly women, which doesn't mean that they're laughing all the time. It means that they're vulnerable to such men, and that they are laden with sins and full of lust. And those lusts might be different than the lusts of men, but they are lusts equally as bad before God, and a man needs to help his wife from them. Bitterness, malice, envy, whispering, backbiting, deceit, answering again, defrauding the husband, on and on the list goes. All of those sins are equal to a serial murderer. the Word of God. Remember, it's the Pharisee that goes into the Word of God and says, I'm going to take all these sins and rank them from 1 to 100. Woo, 100 is bad. But the first 70 are not so bad. No, they're all equally bad because they all violate the Ten Commandments. You just got to figure out which of the Ten Commandments one of those words that I just said comes out of so that we would obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Every husband can help a wife by correcting her spirit and going after her heart and her soul, that it will be pure before the Lord. She is the weaker vessel in 1 Peter chapter 3, 
and that weaker vessel also applies to these matters. She can be let, every husband in here is capable of leading his wife if he would ever humble himself before the Lord and seek that pure heart himself first. The Lord will give you strength in that heart to be able to help your wife. And it's not deep. It's not deep and it's not difficult. It's just sitting down and going over the basics. You know how simple it can be? Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31 that I read last Sunday. Did you see that list? You know, we love to go into Romans 1 and condemn the sodomy of our generation. But in Romans 1, there was that long list of about 20 sins that are sins of the heart. And women are exceedingly vulnerable to those sins. So are men. But that's how you can help your wife have a pure heart, is to sit down and go after a passage like that and correct attitude, correct spirit, teach mercy, teach long-suffering, teach true Christian charity, and you can help your wife. But let me tell, show the women how that this is offered to women, that a woman can have a heart that is after the Lord's heart, and it's a heart that the Lord considers of great price. I want to read 3 and 4. Women, your adorning. This is, these are two verses of emphasis. What you wear to make yourself attractive. When you adorn yourself, that is you do things to your hair, your face, and your clothing to make yourself attractive. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. The best thing that we can do for our women is to change the emphasis from our society of being a looker to having the spirit of a pure woman in her heart. Right. It's a change in emphasis. It doesn't mean that there is no gold, no combing your hair, or no wearing of clothes. And now it says not the putting on of apparel. But if you didn't put on apparel, you'd be guilty of another sin when you arrived here. This is a matter of emphasis. I hope that we can learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. It's emphasis. And brethren, it is very hard in our society. There are pictures and advertisements, and everything everywhere is yelling at women, but appearance is what counts. But the Bible wants women to worry more about their souls. Right. Let it not be the hair, the gold, or the apparel. But... What should it be? Verse 4, let it be the hidden man of the heart. The Lord is looking for women with a heart after his own. I want every woman in here excited that God knows you can have a heart like his also. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. I don't care about your clothing or your jewelry or your makeup or your hair. Your hair is going to fall out. Your hair is going to turn white. Your skin's going to drop and droop and hang like nothing but a sheet of cloth on a bag of bones. All of it is corruptible. All of your appearance is corruptible. But your spirit is not corruptible. It can last forever as long as you are alive. And it is the most important thing. Right. And it will go on into heaven. Then you won't have to worry about your appearance because the Lord's going to take care of it from there on out for all of us. We're going to have glorified bodies. Don't ask me very much about them because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 it's hard to describe. But it's going to be changed. But look at the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament. Now here's some jewelry that you women ought to have. A meek and quiet spirit. 
which is in the sight of God of great price. God looks at a woman. He doesn't see your hair. He doesn't see your clothing. And he doesn't see your jewelry. He sees her spirit. And brethren, this hidden man of the heart, do you know why it's called the hidden man of the heart? Because you don't see it in a mirror, but everyone else sees it. There, there, is a false, there is a false doctrine taught today, and this is how Pharisees justify themselves. You don't know my heart. I'll bet everyone in here has heard that a hundred or a thousand times. That is not true. We all know your heart. We may be deceived for a few minutes, but not for very long. Because out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and everything that a man does is because that's what's in his heart. And so you can tell by the direction of a person's life where his heart is. That is a Pharisee. Do you, know what? Do you understand that, don't you? Where that statement came from? You don't know my heart? That's because their actions are questionable, and so they're defending their ungodly actions by saying, you don't know my heart. Where do you think that came from? When the whole Bible is, Mark the perfect man. You should be able to look at a man and tell by his conduct that he ought to be marked so that you can follow him to see that his end is going to be peace. Psalm 37, 37. Are you all, I hope you're all following me right now where that statement came from. It didn't come from the Bible. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and out of the heart moves the, the heart moves the man. Where your treasure is, we're all going to know because it's what you talk about. It's where you spend most of your time, most of your energy, most of your money. So, when it says here that this thing in a woman is the hidden man of the heart, it's hidden to the mirror. When you're looking in the mirror, you're not going to see it. And it's not something that you can put on just on Sunday mornings. But it's not hidden to God, and it's not hidden to other men. Because all women can be ranked by how meek and quiet they are. And that's the two characteristics that fly out of this fourth verse. Even the ornament, the jewelry, of a meek and quiet spirit. So every woman, God has given you some things at the top of the list. For you to have a heart like David's, and for you to have a pure heart and a perfect heart before God, two of the things at the top should be meek, not liking to be seen, not wanting to be known, not wanting to be the leader, not wanting to be forward, not wanting to be to have a reputation, not wanting to put yourself in a position of importance. Quiet. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Quiet. Why do we even need to explain it? Because to tell a woman that she needs to be quiet in this generation is hardly even understood. It's not fair. It's not right. But if we're talking about God's measurement. And here it is. I, I know. Maybe I've just sounded a little harsh, but that's not why I meant it at all. I love these two verses. I wanted to get you women excited about it. That God knows when you look in a mirror, you're tempted to the hair, the face, and the clothing. And he says, those things are all corruptible, and that's not really what counts with me or with other great men. You know, the women in the Bible that are lifted up for us as examples are known for their virtue and their spirit. A gracious woman retaineth honor. Proverbs 11.16 A gracious, and I would put graciousness way up there at the top because the Bible singled it out in Proverbs 11.16 for women. A gracious woman retaineth honor. 
That means everyone always respects her. She retains honor. And so, meek, quiet, gracious, and then other things the Bible teaches, those are what a woman ought to put on. And a woman can also pursue this perfect heart with the Lord, and the Lord will be on your side to show himself strong on your behalf because your heart is perfect before him. I gave you those two verses to excite you. We live in a society where I have to say them hard because you will not hear anywhere else that you ought to be meek and quiet. Nowhere else is it taught. Come back to the book of Proverbs. Let me show you something else about the heart, how it affects our whole lives. You know, there have been books written that many of the diseases of the 20th century could be solved simply by having a heart like the Bible describes. That many of our illnesses are psychosomatic illnesses of the stress, the anger, the envy, the greed, the covetousness, and other sins of the heart. And that if we would get rid of, get rid of anger and wrath and bitterness and malice and envy and covetousness and malignity and those, those things that, make, that tighten up our heart, many of our physical maladies would go away. I know there's a book written called None of These Diseases, which is along that line for most of it. I believe it. And not because of the author of that book. I, I believe it because of some verses like this. Proverbs 15.13. Proverbs 15.13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Amen. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. True. A merry heart, if you have a merry heart, it's going to show. It's going to show in your step. It's going to show in your shoulders. And it's going to show in your face. And it's going to show in your eyes. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Now, not even Paul and not even David always had a cheerful countenance because they had great enemies. But we usually don't have great enemies to cause tears to run out of our eyes or for us to be cast down. Not like the Apostle Paul and David had in their lives. But here's a, here's a verse to encourage us to work on our heart and the effect it has on our whole life. Look at verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Because better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. A merry heart, a merry heart that is, that is pure before the Lord, a clean conscience, in love with the Lord, delighting in Him. Everything is fine in this life because everything in this life doesn't matter. Because you've got the principal thing, and that is the Lord. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is no one that I desire upon earth beside thee. And if we have the Lord, then it, it affects the rest of our life, and that person can have a continual feast. Look at chapter 17, Proverbs 17, and verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. I believe that verse. A man that is happy in his heart is going to live longer and live more, with more vitality than a man who's negative, critical, and unthankful, and bitter, and begrudging all the time. Because the Bible tells me. And so as I've worked through the Bible, looking at everything it has to say about the heart, and I'm wanting to encourage you about the importance of your heart, notice that it can affect your physical well-being, and it can cause you to have a continual feast. Amen. Proverbs 17 and 22. Proverbs 14, 30. 
Solomon knew this. He tried it all. Proverbs 14.30, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Now, a sound heart does not mean that the four main cardiac arteries are wide open. That is the life of the flesh. Because if they close, the flesh is not going to have any life. But the second half of the verse tells us that it's a heart that is free from envy, bitterness, wrath, malice. It's gone. And so that heart is the life of the flesh. May the Lord bless even these. Reminders from His Word on the importance of our heart. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14. I hope that every phone conversation you have, every customer you deal with if you're in business, every employee that you deal with if you're in a different kind of a business, this week you'll always be checking your heart. Was my heart virtuous before the Lord in that conversation? Was I thinking godly thoughts, good thoughts, kind thoughts, gentle thoughts, gracious? Did I deal with my wife graciously, gently, with goodness, with patience, with no bitterness? Did I show the love that I ought to toward my children? And on and on it can go if we always are asking our hearts and when we go to bed at night, Lord, search me. What is there in my heart that ought to be changed? Show me and I'll change it. Forgive me the things that I know are, that's, that crept in today that I know shouldn't be there. That is examining our hearts and keeping it pure. A perfect heart before the Lord is not one that doesn't sin. A perfect heart before the Lord is one that confesses and forsakes his sins when he does. David is the man after God's own heart, and he was an adulterer and a murderer, along with a few other sins. He set forth as the example of the man after God's own heart. Because when he sinned and he was confronted about it, he repented. And whether Pharisees want to forgive him or not, the Lord forgave him, and he went right on with a perfect heart all the days of his life. So that he was not like Josiah. He was superior to Josiah in that he always had that heart. And we can have that if we'll confess our sins when we know them. And we ask the Lord to show us them to us. Ezekiel chapter 14 tells us this, that the Lord knows that we set up idols in our hearts. Ezekiel 14.3, Son of man, these men, these are men that came to the prophet of God in verses 1 and 2. These men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired at all? Should I be inquired of at all by them? The Lord asks a rhetorical question to his prophet. These men that are sitting in front of you right now, Ezekiel, these men already have set up idols in their heart. They already have false worship that they are going to protect. They already have habits that they are not going to give up. Should I give them any kind of an answer? Now, that's a rhetorical question. You should be able to answer it. And Ezekiel was able to answer it. No. And if you go on and read, the Lord says, I will give them an answer. I'll destroy them. Right. So the warning is, the Lord knows when we set something up that we want to protect in our heart. Now, see, I can't force you to have a perfect heart but I can teach what I'm teaching this morning. And everyone right now in the sight of God and His holy angels is making a decision 
whether you're going to get rid of all your idols and tear them down and grind them to powder and then burn them, or whether you're going to protect them. And I'm not talking about an idol to Vishnu in your backyard. I'm talking about an idol to bitterness. I'm talking about an idol to wrath. I'm talking about an idol to defrauding your spouse. I'm talking about an idol of not working as hard as you should in the job. I'm talking about an idol of not being as thankful as you should be. Those are all idols equal to Vishnu. Where does backsliding take place, brethren? Do you know? Turn to Proverbs 14.14, but while you're turning there, do you know where backsliding takes place? That we slide backward? That we slide away from God? We're drawing nigh to Him? He's drawing nigh to us? And then we find ourselves sliding backward. That's backsliding. Proverbs 14.14 The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. There's a man who keeps his heart good and doesn't slide back, and look what the Lord promises him. He's going to be satisfied from himself. He is going to have the blessing of the Lord within his own heart. But the backslider in heart is going to be filled with his own ways, and it's going to come to trouble his life. Let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 25. Second Chronicles chapter 25. How many times does the word heart occur in your King James Bible? About 745. How many times does the word hearts occur in your King James Bible? About 111. When I say about, I mean that. Like the eunuchs that looked out the window upon Jehu. There was two or three of them. There are 745 and 111 occurrences, and I'm just showing you a few of them. And I'm going to show you some more next Sunday. You know what this book is? This book and Bible Christianity is the religion of the heart. God knows that the religion of the body and ceremonial religion doesn't mean a thing. It's the religion of the heart. How pure is our heart? Those are the men that God, his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he wants to show himself strong on their behalf. Their heart is perfect. Second Chronicles 25.2. Look at this poor fellow. Amaziah, verse 1. Let's get one was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jehoadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Amen. But not with a perfect heart. He played games in his heart, and if you were to read the account of him, he compromised his religion, and he compromised his obedience to God. This is not where I want the members of this church, nor you individually, nor myself, to, to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Let's have perfect hearts in serving the Lord and serving Him consistently. Come in your Bibles to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. This is what we don't want. 
And this will be my final point. Maybe. Psalm 12.1. Help, Lord. This is why we have men's meetings. Why we're going to have another men's meeting this Wednesday. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. This is what I'm preaching against, having a double heart. What is competing for your affections in your heart? Is it family? Is it job? Is it things? Is it sin? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? What is competing for your affections? Because the Lord wants us to be single-hearted, not double-hearted. And brethren, I know, I know how hard it is. No matter what I do, I can take any innocent activity. For instance, bodily exercise is what I would call an innocent activity, but it's only innocent when it's kept in its very proper place of being extremely limited and governed. But because I'm an all-or-nothing temperament, I can, if I start an exercise program, it's very easy, and I'm telling you this simply to illustrate being double-minded. That little thing can start to encroach into my heart to where I'm thinking about it more importantly than I ought to think. For instance, I might give it 2% of my time and energy when it only deserves one. And it starts to creep up so that I'm cutting down on other things in my life. And we do that all the time. We are trading off all the time with our wives, vacations, hobbies, bodily exercise, rest, sleep. We do with all these things. But we're to be single-minded. We're to have one overriding ambition all the time, and that's to know God, to please God, to obey His Word, and to love His Word. And we cannot let things creep in. Because once it gets 2%, the devil's got a foothold. And he's going to give you something else that takes 3%. And pretty soon you've choked out the Word of God. Because the Bible tells us that when that seed is thrown into thorns, and that's someone that doesn't have much soil, the thorns grow up and choke out the Word of God. That's called the cares of this life. Those cares come into our hearts and we become double-minded. So that, yes, I want to serve the Lord. Yes, I want to have a heart like David's heart. That's a great thought. But... I also love doing this. And if you love doing that, that's just fine. But in comparison to God, you ought to hate it. Right. Because Jesus said, if you don't hate father, mother, brother, sister, child, wife, and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. It, that's not my rule. And it's such a common sense, basic rule. He is God. So do you know how much of your love He wants? All of it. Double-minded, right there. Help, Lord. This is a prayer. Help! There aren't very many single-minded men left. Is this church going to have a preponderance of them? Single-minded men, loving the Lord, loving and exalting righteousness with a perfect heart. Come over in your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is still that point. It is. 
You'll see. Double-hearted was in Psalm 12 too. We do not be, we do not want to be double-hearted. And we're always tempted to be double-hearted. If Satan can cast something else into our life to get us distracted so that we're double-hearted or double-minded, he's won. What is that called? Carnal Christianity. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They have a form, but not the authority. Because the authority of true Christianity is all for him. All for righteousness. That doesn't mean we don't work. That doesn't mean we don't take care of our wives. But we're doing all of those things in their proper place and we're doing all of those things for a much higher motive than making money, pleasing the boss, or making the wife happy. It's pleasing the Lord. Do you know the Bible tells us that you've got to be single-hearted when you go to work? And do you know what he means by that expression? You cannot go to work to please your boss. You have to go to work to please the Lord. Because if you go to work and you work like you're pleasing the Lord, and you've even got a glimpse of the Lord of the Bible, believe me, you're going to please your boss. That's what I mean by being single-minded. Now look at James chapter 1 and verse 8. It says in verse 8 of chapter 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We had double-hearted in Psalm 12 too. We've got double-minded right here. And you show me a man that's torn between two different things, he's going to be an unstable man. Because he's being torn by two opposing force fields, if you will. Two opposing objects. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to hate this world. And if you love this world, you're going to hate me. Because no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he's going to hold to the one and despise the other. That's Matthew 6.24. You can't have them both. So the devil knows if he even gets us to be double-minded. I mean, we never miss a service. We're memorizing the Bible verses, and we read and we pray every day. But our heart isn't fully in it. He's got us. Because we're double-minded and we're unstable in all our ways. We're not going to amount to anything. We're, We're actually encouraging the thorns to grow around us because we believe that thorns along with flowers make a pretty nice combination. And God does not want it that way. So we come to James chapter 4, still on the same point of being double-minded. James chapter 4, the first 12 verses of this chapter are magnificent. And if you think I'm hard, you ought to listen to James in the book of James. You know what he calls your tongue in chapter 3? You know what he calls you in chapter 5? You know what he's going to call you in chapter 4? But this is all from the Lord, and I hope you love it. I hope you like to be rebuked. I do. I love this 8th verse of chapter 4. Draw nigh to God. That's a commandment. And He will draw nigh to you. That's a promise. Now, I love that first sentence. If we'll draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to us. But if you draw nigh to Him with a lukewarm approach, is He going to draw nigh to you? No, He's not. You have to draw nigh to Him with fervency and passion and great desire and great effort. And when you do that, He will draw nigh to you. And those eyes of the Lord will be running to and fro to show Himself strong on your behalf. That's the first sentence of this verse. Then it says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And I taught this last Sunday. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. That means change your life, the outward part. But then it says, Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. 
James knew and the Lord knows how easy it is for us to be double-minded, for us to be thinking about what we want instead of what the Lord wants, for us to be thinking about things we love instead of loving only and primarily the Lord. Purify your hearts. Do you know that commandment wouldn't be there unless we can do it? How do we purify our hearts? We throw out every impurity. Everything that is in our life that is encroaching on our love of the Lord, we get rid of it. And we get rid of it and we seek Him first. We purify our hearts. We get rid of all other ambitions, all other objects of our affection, and settle on one. And we just don't settle on it. We pursue it with our whole heart. That is to purify your heart. It's to repent of every sin. It's to repent of every attitude. It's to examine your heart. It's to ask the Lord to examine it. And whatever He shows us, we get rid of. We purify our hearts. If you don't purify your hearts and you're double-minded, you are an adulterer. Look at verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Do you think that James was writing some broken marriage group among the twelve tribes? This isn't physical, literal, marital adultery. This is spiritual adultery. Because he tells you that in the second half of the verse. And it's a pity that we go into this like a Pharisee. Uh, Brethren, just stop for a second. Look at James 4.4. How many times have you read over it and thought that it was talking about adulterers and adulteresses? Every time you did, that was Satan giving you the doctrine of the Pharisees so that you could focus on that great horrible sin and say, well, I'm not guilty of that. But what it is, is being double-minded. If a man or a woman is double-minded and they are thinking about another person other than their spouse, they are adulterers and adulteresses. And in this case, it's thinking about the world along with the Lord. That's the double-mindedness. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? That's like a husband telling his wife, I don't want you to keep up that relationship with your boyfriend from high school because I feel like you're not being faithful to me. Now, would that make sense to all you women? Well, it should make sense when it's the Lord. He says, I don't want you having friendship with the world. I want all that you've got. And that's the adultery of this chapter. That's the double-mindedness of this chapter. So to purify your heart in a marriage is to be entirely focused on your spouse without thinking